All right. So 1 Kings chapter 2 is where we're at. Uh, in this chapter, we're going to learn about David's final words to his son Solomon. Uh, he makes it a point. There, there's specific things that he shared with Solomon uh, at the very last portion of his life as he's trans- transitioned the, the throne um, over to Solomon. Now he, he knows that his, his time is near. Uh, he himself will be dying and going home to the Lord. And so he, he brings Solomon in uh, to tell him a few things that are very important for his success as king of Israel. You know, something that is important to note as we take a look at this is that these words are identified, referred to as a command. It was a command that he had for his son Solomon. It wasn't just, quote-unquote, good counsel, great suggestions, something you want to think about and maybe chew on for a while. These were commands. It wasn't something that was to be taken lightly. It would do us good to think about why these words were a command and not a suggestion. I think oftentimes what I see is that we take God's word perhaps We say it's a command, and yet the way we live our lives, we're really expressing that we believe they're suggestions, they're they're not commands. We ought to be governed by God's word. We ought to yield to God's word. When our will comes in contrast with God's will, which is his word, one should win out, and it's not us. Never will. We either walk on the solid rock or we get crushed by it. It's one or the other. You know, after David's death, we'll see how Solomon established his reign. And he did establish it during this this time that we're going to see in this chapter. He ensured his authority and he will advance in an unfettered fashion throughout his reign. Because of what he did at the very beginning of his reign. He didn't go without counsel but without disloyal people to the throne of Israel, the office, making sure no one within remains who has a spirit and a will to undermine his reign and the good of the nation as a whole. That no one with bad intentions remains in position of leverage or authority or opportunity to inflict evil anywhere and on anyone for selfish and self-serving gain for a group or a person. I find it very interesting. I don't, I don't know about you, but the from last Wednesday to Sunday to today, how fitting these teachings have been in the text that we've get, gone over, how it parallels our world today. But this is how Solomon established his reign, and it remained for 40 years. Father, we want to commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would humble ourselves before you. Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, whether we're watching online or here physically, Lord, that you would be with your people in such a way, Lord, that they would know that 
your nearness, Lord, that, that your spirit indwells them, and Lord, that you desire to teach and to direct, redirect, correct, whatever it is, Lord, but you desire to do a work, and, and Lord, that we simply desire to hear from you, to understand and to apply, Father. And so, Lord, open up our ears to hear. Soften our hearts, Lord, that these, these seeds, your, your word, Lord, would fall on fertile soil and take root and produce fruit worthy of repentance. Bless you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 says, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Can I ask you a question? This just came, came to my mind as I was reading that. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Those words there. Don't they? Where, where though, in Scripture... Is, does it parallel? Where is it that this, we, we can, it's almost, almost as if it was word for word. In what book? Let me ask you that. Joshua. Okay. What chapter? What's that? Chapter one. Yeah, I just want to. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Interesting, that's, that's the Lord, and that's how he encourages us day in and day out. He does... the that for us today. It's not just for Joshua. It's not just for Solomon. It's for you. It's for me today. David took what God already, or David already, already knew of, of God, and he just passed it along to his son, Solomon. You see, David knew he was close to death, and he called on his son because he wanted to make sure he had full knowledge of how he could ensure that he would prosper in his reign and in the decisions that he was going to be making as king of Israel. He wanted to make sure he succeeded, he prospered. 
Now, I know there's further details of this conversation or actually uh, this command that he gave to Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, chapters 28 and 29 that these address David's instructions on the building of the temple and just additional details. But we're not going over 1 Chronicles 28 or 29. When we get there, we'll go over those details. But just know that they're there. You can go there and see further details. There's a reason why here in 1 Kings chapter 2, these are the things that are emphasized by the Spirit, by God. Couldn't help but think that a father's and a mother's greatest accomplishment is ensuring their children and others have a clear understanding of how to know eternal life in Jesus Christ and that they and others undoubtedly know that God's word is to be preeminent by the example they lead in their lives and by the testimony of their words. One of the things that were brought up, and they've been brought up over the course of the time that we've studied the life of David, is what wasn't he a, a man of war? Uh, was he not an adulterer? Was he not a murderer? The answer is yes. But notice they're, they're not mentioned. We need to take note of these things. We need to apply the same biblical principles to him as we do to you and I. And that is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David may have made some mistakes, and he made big ones. He admitted them, though. He confessed them. He repented of them. I've been telling you time and time again throughout our study in the life of David. I've been asking you, why is it that he's a man after God's own heart? It's because he didn't remain prideful before the Lord. He humbled himself before the Lord. He sought the Lord. He, he begged of him to not turn his face from him. How long, O oh Lord, will you keep your face, your face turned away from me? Whereas sometimes I hear people, oh, it feels like I've been disciplined by the Lord for a long time. You know, he's just not with me. And so I'm, so then you abandon him. Whereas David was relentless. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord because this is how he finished. It doesn't matter how we start or the things that happen in the middle, but it's how we finish the race. You know, <clears throat> these are some of the things that he testified of, you could say. The things that you and I should testify of today in our own lives, by our examples, and also by the things we say. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm just going to go down through just a, a few verses in John chapter 14, verse 15, same chapter, just a few verses later, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, one of those things to where the reason why we can keep each other accountable is that we have a standard by which we can keep each other accountable with. You know, it's, we, 
we're not judging the heart. We're not judging for salvation, but we can judge. And the Bible says we can judge each other to inspect the fruit, whether we're bearing or not bearing. So that way, we collectively together can serve the Lord and we can bring him great joy and we can bless the body. Because it says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, I'm just the messenger. I'm just passing along what the Lord tells us. If, it's conditional, if you love me. Here's here's the therefore. Here's what comes after. You will. In other words, you choose to keep my commandments. I choose to keep his commandments. Why? Because I want to demonstrate that I love him above all, and myself. And then John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless, there's that condition again, unless you abide in me. John, he writes again in 3 John 1, 4, something that I've said over and over. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Those are the words of the Lord. I know John penned them, but it's the very breath of God. In other words, it comes from the heart of God. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's what we should be exemplifying. That should be our testimony by observation, and by hearing as well. But why are David's words to his son a command? I had brought that up at the very beginning, and it's a question that we ought to really examine. The answer, uh, there, are, they are, there are two reasons why this is a command. Number one, David's his father. That's it, right? Dad, you know. Why is it a command? Because I said so. Right? That's it. It, it. It's something, this is a word from the Lord, and so therefore it is a command. Why is it a command? Because he said so. Whether you like it or not, it's, it's a command. It's his word. But David's his father. Uh, he has a few years of experience on Solomon. And David desires his son to succeed where God has placed him. Like, we need to understand, hey, God wants us to prosper. He wants us to do well, uh, to be blessed, to walk in righteousness. He doesn't tell us these things because he wants to really oppress us. And No, no, no. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's great freedom. When you're walking with a clear conscience, right? You, you can walk with this freedom. It's a humble confidence before the Lord. Secondly, these words are God's word. God's word is absolute. It is truth. It is immovable. And as we've already said, they are not a list of suggestions. And no matter who quotes them, they remain God's word. So what did David say to his son? Well, 
Number one, he said, be strong, be courageous. Secondly, keep faith in and have loyalty to God. Number three, confront and remove those who serve to undermine Israel. And number four, bless those who have blessed. Those are the things that he told his son. David knew that Solomon was only beginning, but testing would come. And Solomon would need to prove that he is able to stand before any and all opposition, conflict, and remain on the side of truth when the temptation to compromise came knocking on the door. And knocking it will do. David knew that. And how will Solomon prove that he's courageous and he's a man mature in the Lord? By observing and living out God's word As it says here, as he said, as it is written. What this is saying is that there is to be no twisting of God's word to support what Solomon desired in the flesh. Or, or, uh, you know, rather, it should be Solomon yielding to God's word as it is written and intended by God. So it should be applied, period. And as Solomon does, he will prosper in deed and decisions, and the Lord will establish the word he spoke to David concerning the throne of Israel. That it will not lack a man from the line of David if they keep and observe God's word. Saying that this is the way you will just keep this going in strong fashion. Now we know ultimately God was the one that was faithful to do this up into Jesus Christ. Now, I found this interesting because I thought about how Solomon or any other king of Israel would have no control over the other nations and what they would do, how they would possibly attack them. But this was saying it had nothing to do with the other nations, nothing at all. No matter what God promised, no matter what God promised this, you do this, you'll be blessed, you'll have strength, you'll persevere, you will prosper. Do it, regardless of the opposition, regardless of of the, the circumstances that you find yourself in. What would happen if in the midst of our difficulties, We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What what did he say? He would add all these things, right? That's God's word. That's his promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Will be. You see, it's a personal decision. What? In God's word and who in the Lord we put our trust in, regardless of what's going on around us. David would not have told his son to prove he's a man by being courageous and holding fast to the word of God, no matter what, if he didn't know he was going to be tested and would need to be encouraged in this way. But he did. Because it was necessary then, and listen, It is necessary now with our children and those around us as well as ourselves 
all of us, we need to be encouraged. We need to hear once more, Lord, tell us how it is that we express courage. How is it that we express faith? How is it that we can deal with such circumstances that we're faced with and still bless you? Remind me once again. We need to hear that over and over and over again. That's why fellowship is so important. Being in God's word, studying and meditating on his word, having devotions, reading. God tells us to not give up for in due season. If, if we do not give up, we will reap a reward. God tells us to remain steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God tells us to be courageous over and over and over again. He even told Job, gird up your loins like a man and answer me if you can. Imagine that. Here was a man who lost everything, and that's the way he was speaking to him. Gird up your loins like a man. We're going to run right now, Job. And I'm going to remind you of who I am. It's not to lord it over you. It's to remind you of who you can stand in and find refuge in. God will never fail us. So stand up. Be a man. Be a woman. Stand in that faith. Quit shirking back. Quit being fearful of the things that we're faced with. We need those words of encouragement and reminders of how to fight evil and not allow evil to defeat us. Stand up. Don't give up. Remain faithful and loyal to God and stand on the side of righteousness, on the side of God's word. Well, we can actually really break down those first four verses even more so, but I'm afraid we'd be here all night. So let's go on and, and see what to do with traitors and evil people and what to do with those who have blessed. David's instructions to his son Solomon. Verse 5 it says, Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace." But deal loyally with his sons, uh, with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And there's also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on that day when I went to Manaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death. With the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. So, David's instructions to Solomon, specific with names. Now, Joab was an interesting, uh, but he was a complex character. He definitely was a character. He was a man of war, he was a commander of the armies of Israel. Um, but this was a man that had other things going on. And, and David was telling Solomon that he had to go. 
He was loyal to the point where he would even make decisions that would be best for the king. And he was disobedient to the point where he made decisions that the king did not authorize and he would act independently of the king, as is the case David referred to regarding, regarding Abner and Amasa. So he gave him examples, but there was more. Because Joab was a danger to the throne as he was also duped by Adonijah. You remember that? We just went through it in the last uh, chapter and chapter 1. He was duped by him and he followed him in an attempted coup to overthrow the throne. Now regarding Barzillai, he was to be blessed and always taken care of by Solomon for having shown kindness to David in time of need. He needed food and water for him and his men, and Barzillai showed him that compassion, that kindness. And for that, he said, Barzillai should always have a place at the table, take good care of him, provide for him and his family. Now regarding Shimei, David would keep his word, and he wouldn't put him to death. So he didn't put him to death. But this didn't mean that he wasn't a threat to the throne. And this did not mean that he wasn't to be put down or put to death. And he gave instructions to Solomon to make sure he knew this and acted on making sure he killed Shimei. I have to admit, it's difficult to follow through with confronting evil sometimes. Because of sometimes in who it's presented. Sometimes it's those closest to us. It's tough. It's tough not only confronting it, but also freeing yourself from it. But it's necessary nonetheless. Because... <clears throat> Evil always seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And it'll wait for an opportunity to attack and kill if left unattended. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, there's, there's certain things that we seem to think we can toy with, we can play with in our own lives. Uh, the sins that perhaps we, we say, well, they're, they're not causing any problems and, you know, we'll attend to them later. No. The, the flesh cannot be rehabilitated nor improved. Did you know that? The flesh cannot be rehabilitated nor can it be improved. It must be put to death. As it says in Romans 6.11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, we must crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. With sin, we must identify, confront, confess, and crucify the flesh and sin. He who plays with the enemy becomes one with the enemy and brings destruction upon himself. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You're either with the Lord or you're opposed to him. There's, there's no in-between. And that's why the one who plays with the enemy becomes one with the enemy 
and brings destruction upon oneself. So David gave specific instructions to Solomon to deal uh, with these people who would undermine, who uh, served to uh, oppose the throne that God had ordained for specific people to hold office in. Verse 10 says, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. So David died after having reigned over all Israel and Judah for a total of 40 years in Hebron. Uh, he, he ruled there for seven years, 33 and a half years in Jerusalem over uh, the kingdom as a whole, united together. And Solomon sat on the throne of Israel. And this states that his kingdom uh, under his reign was firmly fixed. And we know that this is only by God's grace. And the remainder of this, this chapter is a list of ways in which Solomon follows through with, with establishing and securing the throne by following through with what his father, David, had commanded him to do. And as he sought the wisdom and discernment that the Lord would give him, it was firmly established is what we see here. So let's see what happens. Verse 13 says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Do you come peacefully? He said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, Speak. He said, You know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Now, Adonijah, we know what he attempted. Um, It notes there at the very beginning, verse 13, that uh, it notes again and reminds us that uh, Bathsheba is, is not his mother. It's he, she is the mother of Solomon, who is at this very moment sitting on the throne. Now, when he approached her, she asked, do you come peacefully, in peace? Uh, it's quite fitting, and it should be reasonable for her to be suspicious of his presence. Why are you coming to me? Uh, remember that he, uh, he tried to f- fool some people, and he did fool some people to, uh, to go with them and, and, uh, and believe that he was the, the next one to uh, sit on the throne. And so she asked, do you come in peace? And he said, yes, I come in peace, but I have this request. For the king will not deny you, I have this request. But one of the, some of the things that he said before that, uh, just to speak of his character, his pride, now, he knew that the kingdom was his, was, was his brother's as the Lord had ordained. He confessed it, right? And at the same time, he says, you know that the kingdom was mine. Interesting. It just shows his character. It's like the person who says, yeah, I know I'm in the wrong, but, oh, you're always in trouble when you throw that in there. You know that? 
You want to justify yourself. You want to remain in that place. And you're like, I know what God's word says, but it's like, you lost already. You done messed up when you get to that point. Why do we do that? It's because we're filled with pride, personal pride. And and we kind of half confess, but not fully repent. And we don't when we don't fully repent, we don't repent at all. As well, not repent at all. But that's what he said, that's where his heart was. That's why he was such a threat. Because his heart wasn't fully there. He said, I'm sorry, but, you know, hey, it was mine, but, you know. Okay. Adonijah. You know, all Israel fully expected me to reign. Okay. And then he has the gall to ask for his late father's concubine, Abishag. The Shunammite. I'm not sure how, to, how Adonijah, I was thinking, you know, what's he thinking? You're going to Bathsheba. Solomon, your brother, is he's on the throne. He's sitting on the throne. You're asking for your father's concubine. How is that all going to be acceptable? Would this not be seen as jockeying for position? But Bathsheba, I don't know if she had full knowledge at that moment. I think, I think she did. But I don't know, right? She agreed to bring this request to Solomon and ask for his approval. Verse 19, we'll see that. So Bathsheba went to, the, to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. And on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me, and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Joida, and he struck him down, and he died. Now, It was um, Solomon as Adonijah was asking for mercy. You remember that in the last chapter. In verse 52 of chapter 1, it says, And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall, from, fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. Well... Guess what was found in him? It was a clear request to undermine the, the authority of the throne. It was clear. I, I think it was clear to Bathsheba. And she said, oh, I'll bring this request to 
Solomon, and, and we'll see what he says. For Solomon, remember, he was a man who from this time, this moment, God had given him wisdom. Oh, I love that. I always, I, the, the, the two things I always want to have in, in, with me wherever, with my family, with my wife, with my children, with the church, uh, with handling certain situations, and, is that God would give me his wisdom and discernment. Those are the two things. You, you could not, don't give me anything else. If that's it, that's all I want. Because with that, you can interpret God's word in the way that he intended it for it to be interpreted, to apply it the way he intended it for it to be applied. All of those things, in any case, in any situation. And I believe that God gave that to Solomon from this, from this very point, from the point that he was ordained as, as king and he sat on the throne. He only asked for it in the next chapter. Wickedness was found in Adonijah. Now, Bathsheba referred to the request as just one small request. Sarcasm, I don't know. <laughs> but she referred to it as if it was something, it's, it's something small, you know, insignificant. Remember, she and Nathan were the ones that went to David to tell him about Adonijah and what he was up to that he was making an attempt to take the throne by force. And again, she's Solomon's mother. She had come to David reminding David, remember that the throne was promised to Solomon, and I fear for my life and the life of my son. They were the ones that went to him. King Solomon knew immediately that it was an attempt to place himself, that is, Adonijah, in position to take the throne. He knew that. He saw him as a traitor and a real threat by what he was requesting, and he simply, quickly, swiftly put him to death. Again, I'm not sure what Adonijah was thinking. Maybe he thought Solomon didn't have it in him to follow through with this. He would overlook the gesture and simply give Abishag to him. But Solomon discerned accurately and acted immediately. But there was more to address and act on for the throne to be well-established as it says here in Secure Under Solomon. Verse 26, let's continue. It says, And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, uh, to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord, uh, the, uh, the ark of the Lord God before David and my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. So Solomon acted swiftly. Um, he acted against Abiathar by expelling him from the service of the Lord and the area you are to go, Anathoth. That's the place where you will go and remain for the remainder of your days. Because he had betrayed Solomon by abandoning him and following Adonijah. And he was a high priest. By Solomon doing this, he was acting in line with what was prophesied in 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 3. And, and so you can jot down some notes and refer to them. You can go back there. This was a judgment that had been spoken of against the house of Eli. And this happened actually about 100 years earlier. And it was just now coming to fruition to where this was a completion of it. 
But then there was Joab, the commander who also betrayed David. So swiftly, he's moving through. You see how Solomon is moving. He's removing those threats to the throne. Just as David had warned him, he had given him instructions, command, this is what you ought to do. Remove it, remove it. Don't allow it to remain. And this is what he was doing. So then there was Joab, and we had kind of uh, just noted him earlier. This was the commander who also betrayed David and followed Adonijah. So let's go, verse 28. It says, when the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told, King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar. Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Joiada, saying, Go, strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, Do as he has said, strike him down and bury him. And thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself, Abner the son of Nuran, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Benai, the son of Joida, went up and struck him down and put him to death. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benai, the son of Joida, over the army in place of Joab. And the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. Now, Joab, we, we've learned a lot about Joab. He was a man who was fiercely loyal on one hand and loosely disobedient on the other. He was a man who shed blood in time of peace when it was unnecessary and vengeful without the approval and command of the king. And so this is what Solomon was telling Benaiah. This is what happened. Because even though he was fiercely loyal at one point, he also betrayed King David easily also as he followed Adonijah in the attempted coup. You remember, I, I was wondering, how in the world would Joab, it just did not make sense. How is it that Joab would be, you know, I don't know, just, just fool, just e so easily go with Adonijah and, and follow him? But he did. So bottom line, Joab could not be trusted. And he knew what was coming as he heard what had happened to Abiathar. So he heard what happened to the high priest, the previous high priest, Abiathar, that he had been exiled and, and that uh, Solomon had used strong words toward him and uh, he was not to come back. And so he was filled with fear. And he ran to the tent of the Lord and clung to the horns of the altar. Now, basically, Joab at this point was begging for his life, begging for mercy. And when Solomon heard this, he sent Benaiah to kill him. But Joab refused to release the horns, and Benaiah came back to tell Solomon. So Benaiah, you know, he, he went, he was going to do something, and, uh, and yet he knew in those days for someone to run to the altar and take 
a hold of the horns meant he was pleading for his life. And at times, if they're innocent, um, they are perhaps dem demonstrated some kind of a due, due uh, process, and so uh, their, their case is heard. But in, in this situation, the truth was already exposed. This man was a guilty man. And so Benaiah came back. He told Solomon what had taken place. Joab refused to release the horns. And, uh, and as he clung to the horns, this, even in that day, was not an automatic release of liability if the man indeed was guilty according to the law. So Solomon reply, replied to Benaiah saying, Do as he has said, strike him down and bury him. Solomon was following through with anything that was lingering as far as being a reproach against Israel and the throne, the very kingdom of God that God had established. He wanted to make sure if there's, if there's anything that was still a reproach to Israel, as my father David has addressed and told me about, I want to deal with these things. And he was. He was dealing with them. One by one, he was dealing with them. You know, as I thought about how it was that Joab went and clung to the horns of this altar, I think about how people do this today. They find themselves in trouble, never really having shown any interest in God or his service or blessing him, glorifying him responding to the love that they were first demonstrated. And yet they come running to the church and to God in time of trouble. But not because they sincerely understand their sin and desire, forgiveness and God's mercy, but so that they could get away with whatever they've done by demanding mercy and grace from God and his people. Oh, I know you guys should be the most loving people on the earth. You guys are the ones that perhaps they're not saying it, but the very ones I could easily take advantage of and manipulate to allow me to be justified in what I've done and not deal with the consequences. They'll cling to the church until God and his people, the church, insist they genuinely repent and believe until that point. Right? And that's a thing that we ought to hold each other to. If there's something in our lives to where, hey, that, that is not right. You know, that'd be like, you know, Moses, well, that you're doing it. That's not right. That's sin. Right? And if you were just playing church, if you were just wanting to find some, like, be alleviated of, of the consequences of, of your sin, some people would come. They make, they feel good. And once they feel good, they leave. Or until they're confronted. Until the church genuinely insists that they repent and believe, demonstrating a sincere faith by a show, like by having fruit in keeping with their salvation, with repentance, that which they profess to have. You see, God did not come for the religious, but for the sinner. And so repent and be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. 
And it is that way in which we demonstrate our love for him. Now, had King David made it known to Solomon what Joab had done and clearly state why he was to be dealt with and then Solomon not follow through, but maybe even befriend Joab, can you imagine that? Like, so King David makes it known to Solomon, this, this, these are the things you need to be aware of. This is why you need to rid the kingdom of Joab. This is why. And then Solomon goes to Joab, and, and he not only doesn't do anything about it, but then he befriends Joab. Gives him a place in the kingdom and tells him, those situations, what you did, those are isolated between you and my father. My father's dead, though. You're my friend, right? So come on in. But David warned him. Well, it would have been neglect and a total disregard against his father and the throne of Israel, which ultimately belonged to God and was a present stewardship of Solomon. That's all it was. But Solomon did discern correctly and dealt swiftly with Joab instructing Benaiah to kill him there and bury him. But there was one more, Shimei. Verse 36 says, Then the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there to any place whatever. For on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei uh, said to the king, what you say is good, as my lord the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. So Shimei was confronted and warned, you build a home there in Jerusalem, you do not live. The moment you cross the brook Kidron is the, the day you will die. That is, so I'm just telling you, Shimei, this is, this is a command. This is what is to be. That's it, period, right? I'm showing you mercy, but this is the way it's going to be. Shimei not only agreed, but he was very grateful for that mercy that he was shown. Lasted for three years. Verse 39, But it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, son of Makah, king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, Behold, your servants are in Gath, Shimei arose and saddled a donkey and went to Gath, to Achish to seek his servants. Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath, and when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and go to any place, whatever, you shall die? And you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment with which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, you know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David, my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Joiada, and he sent out and he went out and struck him down and he died. So the kingdom was established in the land in the hand of Solomon. You guys remember what Shimei did? Oh, he had some words for David, didn't he? He just like, he just railed him, railed him, just cursed him. 
And he followed him and his men. And David protected him. He says, no, perhaps the Lord has sent him to speak these very words. But David warned Solomon. After three years, two of Shimei's servants ran away. He found out where they were, and he went after them. But Solomon found out that he had left. He had him captured and brought to him to answer for his actions. He violated the very vow that he had made. He promised Solomon that he would not leave, and yet he did. So Solomon reminded him of what he had told Shimei and what Shimei had agreed to and why it was that he was to remain in Jerusalem. Shimei knew very well. He knew exactly the trouble that he brought upon Israel. That's why he was so grateful. Otherwise, he would have had something to come back with and he could defend himself because he was blameless. But he wasn't blameless. There was no defense. He knew all the damage that he had brought brought upon Israel. And yet he was shown mercy. He may have intended harm toward David, toward the throne. But Solomon declared, your actions, your words are nothing. For the Lord will establish that throne forever. The Lord. Again, that's just a reminder of the authority of God, his sovereignty. You know, you and I, that's what we ought to stand on. His authority, his sovereignty. What he says, that's it, period. No more, no less. We stand securely on the rock. And indeed, it would be established, and it was established in our Lord. Christ Jesus. You see, eventually the enemies of God are exposed. If they do not repent and believe on Jesus Christ. You see, for us today, we can, oh, we need to declare over and over for anyone, for anyone that chooses to confess their sins, repent, and believe on Jesus Christ, The Bible tells us we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by anything else. At any moment, we could come into a saving relationship with the Father through the Son. When things are exposed, we should should confess them and turn from them, repent. And then ask the Lord to give us the strength by His Spirit and the understanding of His Word to, to, to do things and to walk in a way that blesses and glorifies the Lord. Because God is love, but he's also, as I remind everyone time and time again, he's love, but he's just also. Two things that I want to leave you with. In thinking about Solomon and how it was that he he was eliminating all who would pose a threat, um, to really the will of God, uh, God's plan, what, what he desired for Israel, um, how it was that he did away with all that. But that didn't mean that Solomon did away, as I said earlier, with all counsel. He didn't. He sought the counsel of the Lord. 
He sought the counsel of those who were, were righteous men who would actually give him sound counsel. Right? You see, checks and balances are good. But intentions that are clearly there to undermine, to destabilize for personal gain, whether present or future, is not good. And it should be eliminated. It should be completely taken out. In our homes, in our own lives, in the church, we should quickly be able to confront and deal with those things that intend to undermine and destroy the very work that God has for us to follow through with and bless him. And that is the way it should be. That's the way God intends it to be. A um, commentator by the name of Payne said this, quote, It is interesting to compare his position now with that of his two predecessors, speaking of Solomon, uh, and he refers to Saul and David, at the start of their reigns, both had faced a measure of suspicion, suspicion or opposition from their own countrymen. Both had met this problem with resolute action, coupled with understanding and leniency. I want to stop for a moment and just, just think about that. Saul and David both encountered continuing problems because of that very thing that they did. They faced it with a measure of suspicion uh, or opposition uh, from their own countrymen. Uh, they, 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 uh, with resolute action, yes, but coupled with understanding and leniency. Solomon, however, eliminated his potential enemies swiftly and ruthlessly. Close quote. He didn't play with the, his enemies he took care of them just like that. I know for us, sometimes we want to have these discussions. The Lord says, deal with it. Deal with it now. To put it off to tomorrow is a losing battle because tomorrow you will always find to do it again and again and again and again. And it never comes. Have you ever lived in tomorrow? No, we live in today. Today is a day in which we have the, the power to choose to completely do away with the enemies, with sin in our lives. And another commentator by the name of Trapp says, Oh, that we would be as quick in slaying our arch rebels, those predominant sins that threaten our precious souls. Close quote. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of study that you've given to us, Lord, in 1 Kings chapter 2. We ask, Lord, that perhaps as we reread this chapter and we think about those things that um, we've learned today, that, uh, that you would continue to, um, uh, Lord, to give us uh, in that understanding a wisdom and discernment, Lord, on how to deal with things in our own lives, to bless and glorify you. And so, Lord, we... Uh, Commit the rest of this evening into your hands, Lord. We ask, uh, Lord, for your help. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to truly turn from those things that, uh, that offend you, Lord, and walk in, uh, in truth. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.